Kia ora everyone and welcome back to the Careering Podcast. I am your co-host Kelsey and as always the lovely founder of Careering Nine, Melissa Davies is here with me. Hi Melissa, how are you? Guten Tag. I just caught her teasing her cat. <laughs> <laughs> Stop playing with Tuni. Focus, Melissa. Focus, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Uh, We are back again for another week. Um, This week, we thought we'd do a quick uh, little intervening podcast uh, about our favourite books or books that have been really important, that were really important to us in 2023. What was your (laughs) favourite book or one of the most helpful books for you in 2023, Melissa? So the tongue-in-cheek response to that is the one on entrepreneurship that I had to read for lecturing (laughs) because pretty much for seven months of the year, I wasn't able to read anything for enjoyment because I was reading papers and textbooks and readings. God, that sounds like hell. Yeah, so... My my number of books crossed off in 2023 is a lot less than it usually oh, is. Funny. I know. So I did defer for a chapter there. Oh, good little oh. book wording. Whoop-tsh. Anyway, I should use one of the sound effects. Yeah, look, I can't reach. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, was, you know, switching back to audiobooks. Um, and so on Audible, I started listening to Mark Cuban's book. Um, which is How to Win at the Sport of Business. Nice. And it's not a book as such. It's more of like a collection of his blogs and stuff like that. Um, It was really good. Like I love Mark Cuban. I watch him on like the Dragon's Den Shark Tank style shows. And he he used to own the Dallas Mavericks and stuff like that. But I didn't know his background. What is his background? Basically he hustled the shit out of people to get his start in business. Like when you say hustle, do you mean in a good way or a bad way? In a good way. Okay, because it could have gone either way. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and to be fair, it depends on your definitions because like (laughs) one of his key takeouts is that, you know, to be really well read. So reading is actually one of his big things. And he literally starts his career selling PCs at the time where sort of computing technology was just being really becoming mainstream and available to people. So he worked in a computer store and did not, like in retail, and didn't own a computer himself, had never actually used one, but for the job interview, had to read all of the instruction manuals. <laughs> and so what it meant, though, is he got the job, and while he worked there, he read and read and read all of these instruction manuals and consumed as much information as he could about how to, how to do computing. And so very quickly became the most successful salesperson there because he knew the most about computers. Amazing. Even though he never owned one. Or had used one. Oh, yeah. Hadn't even used one. Like, pretty <laughs> awesome, right? So I did not realize that was his – and it kind of carries on that theme, but his principles of always just really gain as much knowledge as you can, yeah. know know the environment you're working within. Um, he has a whole lot of really cool kind of key takeouts and an ethos to the book. But I just thought it was really interesting to look at someone who has really diverse commercial interests and has been very successful from an, sort of an external view. Yeah, I suppose what I forgot to ask in, in the setup of this is for those that don't know, who is Mark Cuban? Yeah, so very, <laughs> very successful American businessman, very wealthy, but he does a lot of philanthropy as well. So right. I kind of knew him through... Yeah, investing in small ventures on TV. Mm. Um, but he does a lot of philanthropy and he's very generous. And what's really interesting is he talks about how he owns the Dallas Mavericks. And one of the things he does is he doesn't sit in the big corporate box and have a VIP experience when he goes to games. He's sold it now, I think. 
but he goes and has a full fan experience. So he understands what the pain points are. And he really, one of the key themes in the book was to, um, he really encouraged people to whine. He said we should be whiners. And oh, not like drinking. I mean, you can. <laughs> <laughs> like whinge. Whinge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. He said people who don't whine are punching bags. They just go about their days because they believe that they're incapable of affecting change. And criticism usually follows whiners. But again, who cares? Oh, look, there are some people in this world that do not need that advice, though. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I thought it was in, I thought it was an interesting take on like on the word wine. We have quite a negative connotation around it, like because whining it was complaining. But then I get his point. What he's trying to say is things don't change if you don't speak up. Yeah, I I, I understand the point. I take away the point. But my when the you were use the word wine, I just hear like a child just going, but why? And I wanna <laughs> rather than like actually affecting change so i i need to change my definition of whining no i think your definition the right definition and that's what he's meaning too yeah but i think he's encouraging people to speak up more whereas i'm thinking just not with that tone of voice though because eh? <laughs> that would be fucking awful to listen to grown-ass adults speak like that all the time yeah it'd be really hard and i struggle with people that play the victim at the best of times so if they did it with that voice i think my tolerance would rapidly yeah, yeah, reduce yeah. Active change-making whining yeah. is what we're after. Yeah, I think he's used the wrong word, though. Like, I yeah. don't think he means whine. I think he means speak up and advocate for change. Yeah, advocate for yourself. Yeah, and, yeah, because, you know, he says um, he says quite a few things that I really like. So he says everyone has the will to win. It's those who have the will to prepare actually do win. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of effort, though. <laughs> Yeah. He also says, don't care about your failures. No one is going to care either once you get it right. And you only need to get it right once. Yeah, fair. Do you know what the the, the example he gives for this, though, is he talks about his dating life. And he's like, (laughs) I've dated all of these women. And he's like, he's really candid about it. Like, basically, he was good looking, successful and had money. So he was like, easy dating all of the women. Yeah. Um, And then he goes, but I only had to get it right once. (laughs) It's true. So he's like, whether it's love or business, you've just got to get it right once. No one cares about your history. Yeah. And I'm like, your grandmother might. Um, But... (laughs) We're also speaking specifically about corporate business, right? Like we're not talking to our friends in medical careers here. Yeah, you, you guys need to get it right all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah as much as possible, please. Yeah. 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 But I also think that was quite a good, um, you know, like his whole ethos is you just got to keep trying things and keep trying till you, till you succeed, but also that preparation is key. So, you know, nothing revolutionary, but the way he tells the story and, and – kind of tells these lessons through his experiences is really it's an easy listen it's quite inspiring yeah yeah so that was so that was mine um yeah yeah. nice and so what was it what was it called how to win at the sport of business Ooh. so if you're if you like sport and business it's a good combo so for me loved it great um yeah he also sorry there was one last thing that he said that i really liked which is really aligned with what we've talked about in several episodes so far which is know yourself well own your areas of strength strength and the parts that hold you back so you know go and get that feedback from others develop yourself but then outsource the stuff you're really shit at and he's (laughs) hell's yes yeah yeah so it was good so that so that's mine jump on audible listen to audiobooks if you're pressed for time can be a good way of getting insight and information that's not um too taxing like literally when i'm stuck in the car in traffic i'm like oh mark what do you say today yeah (laughs) Awesome. I yeah. mean, yeah, I definitely I like to listen to my non-fiction 
rather than read it. Yeah. I would like I do both, but like I I enjoy listening to a, an audio book while I'm driving. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about you? What's what's kind of so literary my, masterpiece has influenced you? Um, look, I've read a lot this year. Some of them nonfiction, some of them fiction, some of them smutty, some of them not. <laughs> I mean, feel free to talk about whichever one has influenced you the most. <laughs> Look, I've read, I read I read a lot of things. I read lots of different things. And uh, I did turn up at my desk at work the other day uh, to a sticker on my computer that said, I, <laughs> I don't watch porn, I read it like a lady. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just some fairy smut. Uh, I'm partaking some, some of that nonsense, but I also read... Lots of other things, um, including my favourite book of 2023, which was 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Bergman. And what did Oliver have to say? Talk us through the book. Basically, on average, we are only alive for 4,000 weeks. (laughs) And it wasn't depressing, I promise. Um, But he was basically saying our concept of time is just a construct. It is just this thing that we've made up to constantly keep us moving, constantly making us change to feed the wheel of capitalism, to feel, feed this this entire construct of civilization that we've created, time is literally made up. And if we don't understand our own value of time and our own value of or concept of time, it becomes something that takes over our life. And controls us rather than it being something that we work with and towards. And when we when it controls us, we waste it. And the four thousand weeks go very quickly. Um, and I really liked the the whole story around making understanding how you see time because we do all have a different version of it. You know, they talk. Yeah. If you're going away on holiday to the islands, they talk about island time. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a very, every culture, every person has a slightly different perception of what time is. Um, and all of them are correct because there is no such thing as time. <laughs> I'm getting really like. <laughs> I love it when you wave your weirdo flag, Cass. <laughs> I'm getting so good. real weirdo. <laughs> real strange. You, uh, sidebar, Melissa made me go and see a psychic in <laughs> Australia. Yes, speaking of weird things. And she told me that I had to be very careful to not be too weird in this world because I'll end up like Julian Assange. <laughs> so I'm just going to, I'm going to be very careful on how weird I go. But And also to just be clear, that was the psychic that said that, not me. Yeah, not Melissa. I'm like, be as weird as you want yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah this this book was just a really good reminder of where to place importance and priority in my life yeah it's interesting because how does that if you take that concept and you think about it I I am such a conscientious objector of the nine-to-five workday yeah and our default setting thanks to Microsoft Outlook calendar where we think of things in one hour blocks. Yeah, and so does it. T- does it address any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so it talks about workplace culture and how all of that's been made up and how that has been created to create capitalism to keep the the wheels moving, baby, on industrialism and more, 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 better, more, faster, more money, more power, more blah, 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 blah. And time is one of the key fucking drivers with that. Time and power are the two core drivers. And how, if you don't stop, 
take stock of how you view time, you will waste it and it will be gone and you it is one thing you will never get back. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It was so because you could read it and you could go, oh, my Jesus Christ, oh, no, <laughs> and you could get real down in the dumps, but I found it really life-affirming. I found nice. it really motivational. Like it was very just like it put work into perspective. It put how I spend my time outside of work because, you know, there's this joke where it's like I don't go out on school nights <laughs> like in terms of not going out after work. It's like because I have to be ready for work the next day and it's just the cycle of doing everything based on 24 hours and just doing the same thing over and over again. I go go to sleep, I get up, I have breakfast, I go to work, I do my work day, I go home, I have dinner, I sit on the couch, I go to bed and I just repeat it over and over again. Can you imagine 4,000 weeks of that same bullshit? No, that's my worst nightmare. Exactly. And so this book talks around just different types of perceptions across it all. Oh, was, I yeah, like that. I really liked it. I like that because I always think about um, one of the things I really love about going camping is that you naturally wake with the sun yeah. and you naturally tend to sort of wind down your activities at nighttime and head off to bed when it gets dark. Unless you've got good mates with a good gazebo and <laughs> you know, there's, there's different types of camping trips. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for the most part, your circadian rhythm syncs with the natural cycle, the sun and moon, right? Yeah. So you're much more in tune with your body. And if you're awake at 5.30 when the sun starts to come up, you will eat breakfast when you're hungry, which yeah. could be at 6 or it could be at 10. Yeah. But there's not this looking at the clock to say it's 8 a.m. I have breakfast now. To inform now. our entire lives. Yeah. yeah. And there's, you know... It's not in this book. I was reading something else where they were talking about how it's actually evidence to show that in uh, in some of the earlier 12th, 13th centuries in England that in, in sort of European countries, they would have two cycles of sleep. So you'd go to sleep as soon as the sun went down at like 4 or 5 o'clock and you would sleep until... 12 p 12 a.m 1 a.m and then you would get up for a couple of hours and you would read or you would do admin or whatever go back to sleep for a couple more hours and then you get up again when the sun got up yeah i've read about that too but it's right back to ancient greek times yeah and how we've processified our life based on time that's just made up (laughs) and we all subscribe to it and but we do it in three eight hour blocks we go eight hours of work Eight hours of sleep and eight hours of leisure before and after work. We're yeah. done. Which is not really leisure. It's usually driving home, commuting, cooking, and unwinding from a day at work. It's not typically a lot of leisure <laughs> involved in that. It's usually yeah. admin. I think that's I think when I started working for myself, that was because I realized I value my time more than I value money. And that was all about that's what that book was about. Oh, stop. Pitched on my look. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but it was great. Like no, it was, I love that. Yeah. It was really, really good. Did he have um did he lean into other cultures as well? Like was there any insights from Eastern cultures or philosophies or is it quite Western? It's quite Western, but he talks about how each of these cultures have a different perception on it. Yeah. And that the idea is that we inspect our biases and inspect our own perceptions. Just because it's always been that way for us doesn't mean that it is true. Um, and, yeah, time is a construct. It's not just a weird saying. <laughs> 
But I also had another one that I really liked. Go on. <laughs> um, I also read Cues by v- Vanessa Van Edwards. So it was all about body language and how to better understand people in the workplace and how to get what you are wanting out of a team by observing body language. And it has been so practically helpful. <laughs> are there any? It's interesting because I remember doing going to some kind of conference. I remember going to some kind of conference where they had a body language expert talking about some of this kind of stuff. Like they were one of the speakers at this conference. And I remember like what they described as really aggressive behavior. I was like, I do all of those things. No, she was more. So Vanessa Van Edwards is far more like, look, there are some general things that we tend to do as people and everyone is different and we tend to do different things in different situations. And what she often it's more nuanced around things like I, sometimes I can't understand why I don't necessarily trust someone or I have this perception about them. And what it's done is help me unpick a lot of my perceptions of human beings because I have re- recognised their body language is exactly what she's talking about in that. Oh, interesting. So like I, there's a couple of people that – I have interactions with outside of work, and I'm like, no, name names, cows, no, no, <laughs> outside of work. Um, with I just there's a vibe that something's off. I don't fully trust them, and one of the key things that she talks about as a cue for someone that might be lying to you is when they purse their lips together. Or they lean back from you in a conversation and cross oh, yeah. their arms. You know, like there's some just real fundamental things. And it's like they're trying to stop themselves from speaking. And she said that can be read two ways, right? It could be that they're lying to you or they're trying to keep something hidden. Or they value the stop, the think, the pause and then react. Yeah. And she said you have to be very careful that you don't read into things just because, you know, someone said that purse lips equals lying, you know? <laughs> if only it were that simple. If only if it was that simple. But she talks around the importance of understanding cues and body language cues to better get better results at work, basically. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Did you touch on anyone on some of the differences in behaviours of people that are neurodivergent? Yes. Perfect. So she and she's very she's very generalist. Mm-hmm. Like uh, she doesn't go, this thing is this thing. Like it just because we're human beings, it's too hard. You can't do that. Um, but what she does do, where it sort of where my interest came from was what is charisma? Yeah. And how, what is charisma and where do people get charisma from? On that, have you noticed that obviously on on the TikTok? Um, on the TikTok? On the TikTok. Um, Riz obviously has, which is charisma. a, a yeah. shortened version of charisma. Uh, I watched someone do a really good, good like stand-up comedy set about how Riz is only, and not only, sorry, most often used when describing a male. Interesting. And on TikTok in particular, they did a whole lot of research. They looked at how it was used on the platform and yeah. it's predominantly used to describe, yeah, people that. Because traditionally those that are in roles that are stand-up comedian, 
speak like professional speakers, you know, that sort of that world, inspirational speakers that you think Tony Robbins or that sort of level, they're men. Yeah, but also we don't often describe women as charismatic. Yeah, it's true. We'll often describe men as charismatic. Yeah. And women might be inspiring or, you know, motivating. But yeah. I, I can't think of – it doesn't seem – I was like, it makes sense that in a, that an abbreviation of charisma, which the charisma male. is usually used to describe men as – I mean, I don't, don't get me wrong, I definitely know that it's used to describe yeah. women, but this woman was talking about how on TikTok with yeah. the, when they sort of analysed how it was being used, it was – Largely describing men. Yeah. Sorry. Back to the original programming. Oh, she, I mean, she's <laughs> definitely gender neutral in yeah. most of her stuff. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was a really good reminder of one paying the importance of paying attention to body language, especially these days where most of our communications are text, Slack, emails, Zoom calls, all those sort of things that 80% of our communication is done through nonverbal language um, and making sure that we are not reading into things and making up stories about people's intention just because that hot, that rest of that 80% is not available, we've only got 20% of it. Um, and it was just a really good reminder, especially in a professional capacity, that just because you read it that way doesn't mean it was intended that way or written with that tone or, you know, all of those things. Um, really interesting fact, though. She talked about Zoom fatigue mm-hmm. and how we all just got really fucking tired. She said <laughs> it was because... When we meet someone in real life, we break down social barriers, like we break down space barriers. And so as we they as someone gets closer to you, you see them you see their full body, which you instantly trust because you can see their hands, you can see their face, you can see all of them. They get closer to you and you can define them more, you visually see them more and then they can get up next to you and they can shake your hand or they can greet you or they can smile. You get time to understand who that person is and if they're a threat or not on zoom you're basically straight in their face and you're right there immediately (laughs) and she said our brains can't catch up because there's no time and suddenly there's just like this magic genie in front of us (laughs) and she said it comes from that that lack of ability for our brains to to process who that person is and if they're a threat or not and it was fascinating I really enjoyed it what's her background She's a uh, psychologist, behavioural psychologist. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It's such an interesting reminder that, yeah, yeah, communication isn't just verbal, but we assume it is. Yeah. So written or verbal, like we think that's we're saying a message. Yeah. But, yeah, our body language, like you think about tween behaviour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> think about toddler behaviour. Yeah. They can say yes and be frowning and mm-hmm. have clenched fists and you go, they are not happy. Yeah. Whereas adults, we do that same behaviour but in a more subtle way. Well, some some of us do it in a way. My um, it will forever bother me deeply when someone's verbal does not match their physical. Oh yeah, I can't stand it. What's an example? I've been at oh, so I've been in meetings before where someone goes crosses their arms, looks like they're scowling, goes, "Nah, it's fine. Nah, it's fine." And it's like, okay, the, the the actual words you're saying are, nah, it's fine. It's fine. But the tone, the body language, 
everything is telling me that it's not fine. Yeah. So I call it out now <laughs> and I just go, okay, I hear what you're saying, but everything else is telling me a different story. So now is your opportunity to tell me what you're actually thinking because it isn't matching. And most of the time people just want permission to say, to be called out in that space and actually have the opportunity to say those things. And they usually go, no, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm like, cool, okay. But, like, just say that first off. Yeah, that's when I kind of go, and there's some secondary feedback, isn't there, which is it's really important that you say what you think because, A, it breaks trust with that person because you look at them and yeah. you go, I don't trust what they're telling me. Yeah. Um, and also that's not the way to influence an outcome, like no. the arm crossed and the it's yeah. fine. Have it's a tantrum like, like a fucking teenager. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, absolutely not. So like, like we literally, as teenagers, that's how we spoke to our parents. It's fine. Yeah. Let me align. Um, <laughs> God, can you imagine teenage Kelsey? She was a bitch. She had a big fringe. She had to have a very big fringe. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we, I went through an emo phase. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, no, that's a, a book that I really enjoyed. Two books I really enjoyed. Nice. Yeah. You didn't quite veer into Julian Assange territory, but I feel like if you try harder, you could. Time is a concept. <laughs> Everything is made up. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're, we're definitely going to chat more about some books that have been impactful and useful and give insight like this throughout the series. We're also going to have some guest speakers on uh, people who have had career, interesting career transitions and changing into different industries, sharing how they went about that. So if there's people that you think that would love to talk about amazing impactful books or cool career changes that they've had, tell them to get in touch, please. Yes, and they can always get in touch by the standard channels, so Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, and then have a check out of the Careering Nine website. Uh, of course, you can find us on Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And, you know, it never hurts to rate us five stars so other people can find us. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we will be back next week with more opinions. Okay, bye.